However, people's emotional feelings about social media and video streaming is very different to their emotional feelings about their finances. And so you're not starting from an equal playing field. So consumers can be quite confused in that respect as well. And you need to take that into consideration when you're building your product. Because while people want you to push the boundaries as far as functionality is concerned, it's also their money that you're playing with. Hello and welcome to the Fintech Marketing Podcast, bringing you insights and ideas from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer of 11FS. I'm on a mission to learn how the world's hottest fintech startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern day marketing. Today's guest is Georgie Smallwood, Chief Product Officer of N26 and one of the 15 women to know in European (laughs) fintech. Georgie, thank you so much for joining us from Berlin. How are you doing today? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Eric. I am great. I'm sitting at home. We're in week nine of lockdown over in Berlin. Uh, and so it's really nice to be talking to someone outside of my immediate circle. <laughs> it's good. I'm trying to, um, when we first went into lockdown, I think there's a flurry of activity at 11FS. I'm sure there was at a lot of other companies about how we kind of manage the short-term transition. But my point then is very much my point now is like, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. So we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves, taking care of our teams, and of course, taking care of our businesses for who knows how long it's going to be. But it's very different going into month three than it was week three. Absolutely. I think now is the, I like the marathon analogy, you know, you need to work out where the water stations need to be and (laughs) how many oranges to chop up, right? Um, And make sure that you've got them when you need them. I think that's really important. For sure. So to kick us off, would love to hear what is your favorite brand in financial services? It can't be your own and why? (laughs) It can't be my own. That's a good, that's a good question. Um, I really, really like Klarna, uh, and I and there's a couple of reasons why I like the Klarna product. I think in in Germany, paying by invoice is a new functionality that I've never had uh, in Asia or in Australia, and uh, Klarna make that incredibly easy at point of sale. They've really smoothed that online point of sale piece out. Um, I also really like, because before I used Klarna, I still paid by invoice online, but yeah, like the invoice got lost and then I would get a, you know, a $20 fee for paying late. And the Klarna app actually keeps everything all together. Uh, I know exactly what I've paid, what I haven't paid, um, but I still get that flexibility on getting the product and then paying for it. Uh, so I really like it. I also, I, I think the, the branding colors are fantastic. I love the pink. I love the the dog. Um, I can identify with it. I think it's great. So I'm smiling so much because we actually just interviewed Laurel Wolf, um, who's one of the senior global marketers at Klarna. So oh, I, I would imagine her episode will probably come out before yours, but when it does, I'll ping you the link because it was a great, be great conversation with her. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? How how did you end up in Berlin? How did you end up at at N26? And what is your current role there as CPO? Oh, that is a long and windy road. (laughs) Um, I think it all started like when I finished school. I think I always wanted to be a journalist. Um, and the reason I wanted to be a journalist was because I like telling stories. Uh, I actually managed to get myself a job as a journalist for six months before 
the editor told me that perhaps I was a little bit long-winded <laughs> to be to be a journalist uh, and maybe I should look for other opportunities. Um, in the end, the other opportunity that I found was across the hall at News Limited uh, in the magazines division in advertising. And uh, what I did there was I looked after the, the added value. So you would sell the big double-page spread to a L'Oreal or a, um, or, or a big brand and then you would give them added value. And at the time, digital was just starting. And so I was in charge of creating digital added value that looked fantastic so that people would buy more print ads, essentially. So it was a couple of, you know, almost two decades ago. So, um, And I loved digital. That was where I kind of got the bug because with digital, you can really take the user on a journey. Right? And, and in advertising, it's fantastic. You have uh, business outcomes that you need to achieve where you want to achieve the click or the sign up or the, the purchase, but you need to understand the user's intent or what it is that they're looking for so that they can then see value in the advertising that you're providing. And so creating digital stories for people to end up seeing the value and purchasing that product was really exciting. Uh, and I think that's really what got me into to digital, to the internet, to to product. But I didn't really realize that it was product at that point. And so I, um, the next part of my career, I moved to a, a digital company called realestate.com.au and they were quite young in their journey, I would say. But when I joined, they were right at the beginning of that hockey stick. And so I, I came on as a coordinator. I was a media coordinator. And the next five years were just a hockey stick explosion of hold on and try not to make too many mistakes while we just ride this train. And there were a couple of things that were great about that journey was that they were very focused on the consumer journey, but not just the consumer journey or the user journey in the product, which a lot of, we talk about a lot, right? What is the journey within the product that you're creating, but also the journey that the customer is going on outside of the product. Uh, so for buying a property, there's a, there's a huge, you know, personal journey that people are going on and, and how can the product insert into that personal journey so that you're adding value to the customer all the way along. So that was really exciting. And, and that's really where I kind of got the, added the hyper growth bug to the digital bug. Amazing. And then how did you uh, end up at N26 and how has that been in the time that you've been there? Uh, how, I ended up at N26. I've actually worked in Germany twice, which is not something that I ever thought that I was going to say in my life. Um, I certainly never you know, want, decided, oh, I want to move to Gen Germany. That's a thing. But a couple of years ago, I was part of an IPO team for Scout24. And I was here for about a year and a half helping with that. And then I went back to Australia and got a great job at Zero, which is a software company, which is another bug software, right? The, the depth of software was really exciting to me. And uh, after about a year and a half, N26 called me. And I think there was a couple of things that made that happen. One, I had worked in Germany before, so I probably had some connections in common. Um, but also there's not a lot of people who've worked in product uh, or software for over a decade. And so I think that there are things that you learn when you work in, in software and product for that long and you don't make those mistakes again. Uh, and so I came over for an interview over the Easter break and I moved here in six weeks. Um, I thought this is an opportunity that if I say no, 
could be one of the real regrets that I have. And I'm sure in hindsight, uh, it was a good move. Do you know, um, do you know James Kidd at, at Zero? Was he there when you were there? He was. James is in marketing uh, in the global yeah. role. Um, yeah, yeah, we had him on the podcast one of the early episodes. I, I love my conversation with him. Uh, Zero um, is a fantastic, and Zero is a super marketing focused organization, and they have an amazing way of understanding their double sided marketplace and the ecosystem play and the value that they or the additional value that they give to their users, not just the the kind of first level value around the product, but the second level value around how can we help you with other things that you're doing as well. So I've, I've learned a lot from every role and every company that I've joined. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I have to say, I, l- I love how often the word value has come up so far in this uh, just brief conversation. Cause I think, um, you know, for people that have listened to, to episodes from this season already, you know that that's something that I subscribe to very much. Um, and here at 11FS, our North Star for marketing is about how do we add value to the world of financial service professionals. And I think it's interesting, and I know this is something that we'll get into in our chat, uh, kind of the convergence of product in marketing. I think if you're doing it right, both of those things are kind of serving the same North Star of adding value, just doing it in different ways, but doing it together. Absolutely. And and if they're not doing it together, there becomes this break. Um, and that's where distrust can creep in. So let's talk about how that um, comes to life at N26. So you're the chief product officer. There's also a chief growth officer. Uh, when it comes to marketing, how does that, how do the decisions and the strategy and the work on marketing fit between those two teams? So like any true hypergrowth scale up, we, we change things a lot, probably more than we should. Um, and we're certainly moving to a phase where we want to stabilize those things. But we've moved things around a bit. Uh, so Alex is the chief growth officer and he is accountable for the growth numbers for the organization. Uh, what's different about N26 is uh, myself as the chief product officer is responsible, accountable for the revenue numbers of the organization. So those two things are a bit like oil and water that need to make a love lamp, right? Because we can drive the revenue lever in many different ways, just as we can drive the growth lever in many different ways. Uh, But if we drive them separately, then neither will win. Uh, Because you can, of course, drive growth to um, get users who aren't premium customers or aren't uh, active or aren't paying or, or driving revenue for the organization and the growth number will go up. You can also uh, put the price up, which will drive revenue if you get your model right. Uh, but at the same time, it will have an impact on the growth numbers that you get. So Alex and I work really closely to make sure that those two objectives as the organization stay in line. And then within the marketing side of the, the growth organization, we work really closely with that team. So we've just recently had a couple of new people start. Patrick Stahl joined about three months ago from Uber as our VP of marketing globally. And he and I are working really closely on, we need to make sure that what we're talking about our brand is the same experience as what the product feels like when you come inside. And and that's really important because Lots of startups can either focus on the product or focus on the brand. Um, But as you grow up a little bit, those two things need to converge because otherwise you have this amazing branding position and the product doesn't quite add up 
or you have a great product but no one knows about it so so you don't get the growth. Uh, so we work very closely together on that. We've also created a creative council across the top so that we have that connection between the brand design and the flow through the consumer journey to N26 and then the experience that they have at N26 to line that up. And we do things like we've implemented a design system across the whole app, which we're almost complete on, uh, where so the journey looks the same and feels the same all the way through from branding all the way through to, you know, downloading a balance statement. The other change was that we also uh, moved product marketing into product. So, for instance, product marketing is, is such an essential function and we're trying to build that up at N26 and we've had it sitting in marketing. We're moving it into product for a, an interim period of time so that they can really integrate into the product side of the organisation and then we will probably move it back to marketing in, in a period of time. But I think that kind of gives an example of how we work cross-functionally across the teams. Yeah. Yeah. Just in the conversations that uh, I've had doing this podcast and then also my experience now being a year into the industry, I think that that integration between product and marketing is uh, not just important, which I think everybody knows or is coming to realize, um, but is such a constant reality within the most successful fintechs out there. Um, I I don't know that we've talked or I've talked to one or come across one where they don't have a very strong integration and point of view around how product and marketing fit together. Um, I, I think it's interesting. I wanted to touch on something that you said. So you talked about how, you know, in classic hyper growth fashion, things are kind of changing all the time. And I think that that's actually important. You know, those of us that work in startups and scale ups, there's the whole thing of startup years and, you know, you pack so much into a short period of time. And sometimes it does seem like the only constant is change. And at a certain point you need to figure out and bring a little bit of stability to allow for scale. Um, but I also think it's, it's really important for uh, people that work in big organizations and in big established brands to have that same perspective on things because startups and scale-ups are constantly trying to adapt to a changing landscape, right? And sometimes when the landscape around you doesn't seem to be changing that much, it's much easier to just be tied to the way things have been done. But you need to constantly be able to be zoomed in on the way things are right now, but then also zoom out to reassess is this still the right way of doing it? If I was starting a team from scratch right now, would I set it up this way? If I was starting a brand from scratch, is this how I would communicate it to the market? You need to constantly be testing those things. So I think that that kind of balance of you need to be malleable to change, but make sure that you have the right level of change for the state of your business and, and the culture. Yeah, I think you, you need to, you, you also need to have some foundational parts that that are secure so that you can change on top of it. And, you know, I I don't have the complete answer, honestly, um, because, you know, we change a lot. But I do think that one of the things that is difficult for more established companies um, is to understand the rate of change that consumers have at this point in time. And this is one of the things that's changed a lot. And I talk to uh, traditional banking executives quite often. I mean, a a lot of networks and, and committees around that. But it's not just about technology. So it's not just that digital banks have technology stacks that are better. It's not just that the, trust me, everyone has tech debt. Uh, it's, it's, it's a reality of everyone's day to day. But we have an understanding that consumers' behaviour is changing at 
an extremely rapid pace, faster than it's ever changed in the history of everything. (laughs) Um, And if consumers are are learning to adapt at that pace, and certainly things like Instagram and TikTok and um, Apple and Google and all the consumer experiences that we're pushing to people are teaching them to adapt this fast, but they then apply those expectations to the other functions that they do things in. And if they don't keep up, they become dissatisfied. And so whether it's a healthy thing as a society to have this expectation that things are moving all the time and and picking up and, and perhaps we will see a slowdown with coronavirus and the impact that that's having, but consumers are driving this change and they are their expectations are changing at a rapid pace. You need to pick which expectations you're willing to go for uh, and adapt to those at pace. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that has been so interesting and I think definitely a, a trend in product, but also marketing in fintechs and how they've started to grow into the market of financial services and incumbents is they're kind of bringing best practices around product and design and user experience from other industries. So it's not, it's no longer about benchmarking yourself against the competition in your industry. It's about benchmarking yourself against the best experiences and the most value uh, that people can get out there from any sector. Because on the consumer side, you don't, you don't really think about it that way. You don't think about it in the way that a marketer would. You just think about it in terms of what's good and what's not good. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, my two cents is I think that uh, progress and innovation only goes in one direction, and that is towards bringing more value to the customer. So I think, it, you know, change usually happens more in steps than it does like a linear up into yeah. the right type of thing. Uh, and so there's always going to be some steps forward and maybe some slight steps back or some slowdowns. But I think that uh, for any business and any brand, and certainly with the disruption that's coming from fintechs into the world of financial services, really understanding what best-in-class product, user experience, branding, everything really from other sectors looks like is only going to help make you stronger and you're offering more competitive regardless of whether you're a challenger or an incumbent. Yeah, I, I agree, but I think there's there's two things that are difficult, uh, and the first one relates to global growth. So the, I agree, change is a, it is a step change; it's not a, a linear, slow progression, and you certainly see that behaviour as well in consumers. But what you don't see is all consumers making that step change at the same time. So you have to be really careful and know who your customer is because if you want those, if you want to build a product for early adopters, brilliant, be at the front of that step change every single time. If you want to build a product for everyone and and for that kind of large portion of the population, you also need to not necessarily always be on the edge of that step change because that can make it quite uncomfortable. And the the second point to that is also that finance is different. So you also have to understand the emotional triggers behind people. So yes, we are totally, from a consumer perspective, the expectations are that it works as well as Netflix and it has as instant gratification as Instagram does. However, people's emotional feelings about social media and video streaming is very different to their emotional feelings about their finances. And so you're not starting from an equal playing field. So consumers can be quite confused in that respect as well. And you need to take that into consideration when you're building your product. 
because pe- while people want to, you to push the boundaries as far as functionality is concerned, it's also their money that you're playing with. And that's a very different reaction that they have than to, oh, you've messed up my my list on Netflix. So you need to take that into account as well, which is which which makes fintech a, an interesting place to sp- space to play because the constraints that you have are very clear. Yeah, there's always the context around the experience, not just the experience or the content or the product itself. Completely. So, so so talk to me a little bit more about kind of your philosophy on on product marketing and how that comes to life at N26. What are the kind of, you know, the key principles or the key things that you think about? So as far as marketing is concerned, we have a very customer-centric approach as the foundation of everything that we do. We have three key personas, which we have globally. And the reason that we can have personas globally is because the way that people think about money we've found is very similar, no matter what market you go into, no matter what cultural background. Uh, Now, the nuances are different uh, from a market perspective and the regulations and, and those kinds of things. But as far as the specific marketing Uh, targets that we go after. I think the key there is be specific um, and really know who is your target market and who are you going for and win that target market completely rather than kind of going out with a broad message which might miss the mark on a couple of different places. And we've done that a number of different times in different ways. If you take it back to two, two and a half years ago, we came out with a campaign which is still talked about to this day, which is the no bullshit campaign. And that had an incredible amount of cut through to the point where it still gets brought up in pretty much every conversation that I have. Um, what it also had was a hyper-masculine uh, approach. So it, the campaign was black and white. It was hashtag no bullshit in a German market, especially Germany, Austria, like this is incredibly aggressive. Um, and it was, and it was intentionally done that way. And we were at a point in our, in our company's trajectory where we wanted that cut through. And, and actually that was a conscious decision to be really kind of pioneer and aggressive and cut through as far as our messaging was concerned. The next campaign that we did was what we called 26 Reasons to Pick N26. And that was we changed the colouring. We really wanted a broader uh, audience for that campaign. We didn't want to create a bank for people that associated with masculine branding. We changed our colour schemes. We had a focus on the unhappiness in the existing products that are out there and really tried to push the product out a bit more to talk about the feeling and the functionality. So for the we, and then we brought that into an A to Z campaign, which had other things, obviously 26 letters in the alphabet. You know, love a good uh, play on 26. But we're really specific with each campaign about who we're talking to so that it actually hits that person and really impacts that person. What you get then is a, you know, extension effect of people around that, but then you know how successful it is with the market that you're trying to achieve. And I think that's really, really important uh, when you're looking at, at marketing. The second part that's really important is that what you're saying and what your cut through is, is also represented in your product. So if we're talking about the product being beautiful, 
and they get in and it's not a beautiful product, then that that breeds mistrust, right? Because you said that it was something and it's it does people don't feel that it is. So we, we really try to make sure that the messaging marries and with the experience that people are getting. And we do a lot of customer, a lot of customer research around what they feel about the product. Because that, that's the other thing, you know, it, it might look good, but if they don't feel that it is working for them and giving them value, uh, in addition to what they were getting before, then then the connection's not there. And how do you run um, the customer research? Is it more, I'm, I'm sure it's a mix, but is it more kind of quant at scale? Is it more qual, like focus groups? How are you actually getting that those data points to help inform your product roadmap and your marketing roadmap? So we have a couple of, of different ways, as you said. So the top three are the market analytics. So we have a market research, large format, mass customer segmentation pieces of work that we go into that we can buy a lot of data around that in markets that we haven't been to. We then have our high-level user research and we do a lot of work. We use a, a great uh, user research tool called UserZoom. Uh, which means that we can get to more people and get some qualitative and quantitative. We do UI testing and things like that in that. We also talk to people around surveys. We do a lot of surveys with our customers, but then also people that aren't customers of ours in different markets. And then the third way that we do it is we do it very much on a face-to-face basis. Uh, One of the really cool things that the team implemented proactively was in Barcelona before COVID-19, we have a a coffee user research session where you can sign up as a user of N26 and you come into the office and have a coffee and the product managers and the researchers and designers get to run ideas past you or ask you questions of things that we're working on at any one point in time. So we have a couple of different levels of it uh, and we use what we need at the time based on how, what we're building. So, so the next question is, is asking what's worked really well at N26. So I think we can just build on that because it sounds like that approach of being very uh, data-driven and customer-led in how you're evolving what you do is certainly one of them. But what else has worked well for you in your time there? I think for me personally, my advertising background has helped a lot uh, because it's very commercially driven and N26 the way that the organization is run we are very commercially driven so what is the business outcome what are the numbers we're VC funded organization it's important that we have we have a huge responsibility we also I think maybe when I joined N26 I underestimated how I would feel about working at a bank and the responsibility that that has so that, that is quite important too and that commercial aspect of it is, is something that I learned in advertising and that's come in very handy. I think from a software perspective, uh, we have a really, really good combination of technical and banking. So when I started at N26 and part of the reason I joined was because they openly declared they were very much a, a technology company uh, and that has changed and and the requirement to think of ourselves as a bank has become clear and as an executive team we took that quite seriously about a year and a half ago and undertook a huge piece of work to think about what our brand is internally and how we identify as an organization and that's when we changed our uh, mission vision 
to be uh, a bank that empowers, a, a company that empowers people to live and bank the way that they want to because the banking aspect has a huge responsibility associated with it. And I think everyone in my team and in the engineering side of the organisation thinks and thinks about the fact that they are a bank, we're not Spotify, and there's a responsibility to that that we need to take seriously as well. So that's been really interesting, that mindset shift from tech first to, hang on, like we're a, a tech-driven bank. That's interesting. And and what about the other side of that question? So can you talk about some things that maybe haven't worked that well since you've been there and what you've learned from them? I had to really rethink experimentation. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I... I'm a, a product person. I've worked in a lot of tech companies. Uh, I hadn't worked in a bank before. And that was one of the things that I think was a bit like walking into a brick wall. Uh, the first conversation that I had with the bank MDs around how we wanted to experiment with the product and A-B test and push things out to customers. And I think they went white. <laughs> and uh, I had to really rethink not only how I spoke about experimentation, but also how we did it. Because the other thing is, and this goes back to what I said before about um, the differences in finance, is that people don't really want you to experiment with their money. Rightly so, right? This is serious stuff. This is people's lives and their and the way that they can live their lives and the opportunities that they have because of that. But the other part is that regulators aren't familiar with this test and learn approach to development, which is hard because at the same time, I know that what's expected of us as an organization and what we want to achieve requires us to test and learn. So really had to rethink experimentation in that sense. And so where have you netted out in that thinking? <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, so the difference that when, when we hire product or when I hire product managers, it, you need to make sure that you're hiring people that really find excitement in constraints. And, and the way that I explain it is at a, at a pure tech company, you would say, here's a white piece of paper, draw me the coolest thing that you can think of. And you would want someone to be creative and out of the box and something you hadn't seen before. I give someone a white piece of paper, I give them a blue pen and a red pen, and I say, please draw me a rainbow. <laughs> and and that's kind of how I see a pioneer product within regulated environments because you need to be able to know what the constraints are and think, hmm, what can I do with this? And that's how we apply experimentation as well. So we get creative, we have beta groups, we have whitelists, uh, we use test flight extensively um, and we do a lot of things on Slack and get stuff done days and we push things around but we do draw the line at pushing things into live environments which are going to really change the consumer's experience and they're not expecting it. I love that. Um, I think that's such a great uh, example and analogy and definitely something that people can learn from just the rainbow with two colors idea. What, what are get stuff done days? So every couple of weeks, I think it's every two months, maybe I, I might be wrong there, I'll, I'll be corrected by someone after this, uh, we have a couple of days where people can, there's no meetings, well, I think that they have to decline the meetings, <laughs> um, and they get to do 
whatever they want, essentially. And these have been in most companies that I've been in. They've had they've been good and bad in different places. Uh, there was a point in time at N26 where they were kind of just this thing in the calendar that people were using to not go to meetings and get through their backlog. But I was so excited. I'm really starting to see a different in behavior. So the last get stuff done days, we had groups completely self-organize around problems that they wanted to solve. Uh, and some of those were integrating some multi-banking pieces of code that they wanted to test out and other people took it upon themselves to self-organize. There was about 50 people across product, business strategy, design, research, uh, and they pretty much single-handedly uh, are going to implement dark mode. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I just it, I love watching this happen and the community that you create and and the leaders that are stepping up into those things where they say, hey, this is something that we want to do. I've heard a couple of other people want to do it. Let's ask for a bit more time. So this team said, look, we can't do it in two days. We need five. I said, okay, show me what you can do. It's um, it, it reminds me of the whole kind of twenty percent time thing from Google back in the day. I don't think they do that anymore, actually. Um, but I think that that's so important. I know we're talking a little bit less about marketing, but of course it applies to everything. You know, you need to give people that time to be able to step away, step back, and look into some of these things that maybe aren't ever going to be the most urgent thing, but actually can create a ton of opportunity. I think, uh, I think it can be super valuable. I mean, gosh, it's hard to do. Like it, it's really difficult to step away from what you're in all the time. And those kind of things are fantastic. And I, I love that energy and that passion to solve problems. I think it's fantastic. So, so you, um, since we're talking about teams and team building, uh, something that I wanted to ask you, which is not directly related to marketing or product, but indirectly I think is incredibly important, is you posted um, recently on your LinkedIn that vulnerability is at the heart of teams. And I just love to hear your perspective on that. We were chatting before we pressed record about uh, how much passion we both have for team building and, and vulnerability and how that fits in. So I'd love to just let you expand on that for a couple of minutes. Yeah, I think it's it's a really, really important topic. And it, it always seems a heap easier than it is. Um, because on one hand, you can say vulnerability is about being open and having great discussions, and it is, but there's also strength in vulnerability, right? And and how you respond to vulnerability and how you work with people who are in vulnerable states of mind, depending, I mean, we, we work in crazy environments, right? completely crazy. This is not your usual walk in the park on a Sunday morning. We're talking about like running while driving, whilst helicoptering around the world. Um, and it's, it's an even more important element because of that, because you need to understand what people are going through. And the reality is that we're working on the edge of things. So everything in people's life goes into this. So you need to be aware of that as well. And I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown uh, and her work on vulnerability in teams, also vulnerability in humans is the same thing. Um, but it's something that I've taken very seriously. It's um, being a part of something 
And I could see that this was a common element in teams that weren't working. And I talk a lot about, or lots of people ask me about what is the role of the CPO. And I think it can be very different in different organizations. But for me, I'm a product manager. That's what I identify as. And to be honest, that's what I've identified as most of my career, depending, doesn't matter what role I'm in. And as a product manager, my product has changed depending on the company, depending on the role. As the CPO, my product is the product team and the product organization. That's user researchers, designers, how they work cross-functionally with engineering management uh, and that big larger ecosystem of the parts of the organization that build the product. And vulnerability is something that is incredibly important because otherwise you end up with this siloed functional work stream relationship where you've got a product manager and then there's an engineering manager and then there's a designer and they all have their own functions and their skills and they don't trust each other and they don't see the benefit of of cross-functional working. It doesn't work if you're not open to understanding another person's point of view or something that potentially you didn't think could work but might be a different way of doing things. And so I think when we talk about vulnerability in the public setting a lot, we talk about people's emotions But also vulnerability is about being open and flexible and welcoming and respectful of people around you. And those are really, really essential elements of a high-performing team. I love that. I think that's great advice for anybody, regardless of whether they're in product or marketing or really any discipline, because fundamentally we're in the people business, you know, regardless of where you work or what your job title says, like individuals and then the teams that they make up are the fundamental unit of any organization. So I think this stuff is um, so important. So I know it's a little bit off topic, but really it's not if you look at it in the right way. Um, So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So I'm I'm conscious that we're coming up on time. Uh, Back to our uh, set of questions to round things out. Would love to hear a little bit about what's on the roadmap at N26. So much going on with you all. Obviously, you just raised an extension to your Series D round. You're growing in the US. Uh, What are you working on now that you're excited about? So there's two really cool things. Uh, so I'm really excited about our perks program. So going into the U S we had to really rethink what our product was because, you know, you have to think about what value you're providing to the consumer and what consumers need in, in different markets from a functionality perspective can be different, even though they think about their finances the same way. And certainly you need to look at the competitor landscape as well. And what are the offerings that are going on? Because people are then habitual about that functionality. And perks was and rewards was one of those big things that we looked at from a US perspective. So what we've done is we've started, we've rolled out the MVP of our rewards functionality in the US, but we've built it globally. Uh, and so bringing uh, a U- American style rewards functionality to Europe is something I'm really, really excited about. The other part that is super cool and talking about value I think this is where fintech and financial services really needs to go which is what is that additional value that you're providing to someone so if you're the transaction is what you expect right I expect to be able to use my card and to make a transaction and to somewhere see that transaction historically we've provided additional value through things like instant push notifications and different pieces of information in the transaction that you can see. So for instance, the FX rate, if you 
used if you bought on, for instance, Amazon.com as opposed to Amazon Germany. Um, but what we're going to start to do this year and what we've started to do already is really prove additional value back to you. So insights and, and really understanding how you can spend differently. We're going to use spaces and we're going to use the feed, our transaction list as a communications channel. So you'll be able to manage your money in spaces and based on your behavior, we can actually tell you whether you're hitting a goal that you're looking for, whether you should set up a, a rule so that you can start to create those things. And we'll really start to ask you questions about whether you want to do these things or not. So providing that secondary value, I think is really important from any software solution um, because historically that's what we got in a face-to-face -face relationship. So we used to get that you would go into the branch and you would know the, the person and they would say, yes, I can help you with your transaction. Is there anything else I can help you with today? Or, hey, I spotted this Maybe you could do A, B, and C. And so building that into a technology solution is super exciting. Yeah, I love that because um, there's kind of two dimensions to the value that you can bring people, right? There's the actual value, but then there's also the relative expectation of that value. Meaning uh, a lot of people spend time thinking about the expected value that they can bring to mm -hmm. customers. But if you can, like you're talking about, look for those areas where there's no expectation or low expectation for value that you can bring, you actually don't have to bring as much value in those areas because the expectation is so low. So it's and kind of that relative. Prime yeah. opportunities to delight users. Exactly. Exactly. So Georgie, before I let you go, uh, two quick questions to round us out. What are your sources of inspiration? Any books or people you mentioned Brene Brown. I'm definitely going to have to check her out. I haven't seen her stuff before. But what else would you recommend for people that are interested in the things that you're interested in? Uh, so another book you should definitely read if you're interested in product management is uh, Melissa Perry's uh, Escaping the Build Trap. Super uh, easy to read. It's got a great narrative to it, but really operational things that you can use in your day-to-day -to, -day to set things up better make things easier, which is really cool. Um, as far as sources of inspiration are concerned, I love kids apps. So, I mean, I have a six-year-old, so that makes it a little bit easier, but right from when she was two and three, when we were starting to get into different iPad apps that she could muck around with, the gamification in this, and because they understand the user and the simplicity that it needs to be to create habits and to create loops and to create feedback. Um, and I, I think it's fantastic. I think uh, kids' games are an amazing source of inspiration. Also from a UX perspective, the flows are really cool, really simple, really easy to understand. So download as many kids' games as possible. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. Uh, so last question, who else do you think we should get on the show? You've had such amazing people. I, <laughs> I think uh, I think it's really cool. I think if I someone from N26, I think you should talk to Patrick Stahl. He's our new VP of marketing and has some amazing ideas. Um, great guy. And also from a, a fintech perspective, I think uh, Jessica, she's the co-founder of Penta, which is this really cool SMB fintech app in Germany. Yeah. Uh, She's incredible. Chat to her about why she started it, what was important to her. Amazing person. Amazing. That would be a great one. Well, Georgie, thank you so much for your time today. That wraps up today's episode. Where can people find out more about you and N26? 
oh God, I don't know where you can find more about me. <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> Uh, but you can definitely find more about N26, n26.com. We've got heaps of information there. We also are building out our blog, which is really cool. So you can check out all the things that we're doing. And, yeah, stay tuned on social. We have an amazing social team that is pulling things together for us. So uh, at N26 and uh, keep in touch. Awesome. Well, we will keep an eye out. And for everyone else, thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, head on over to 11FS.com to see how we are helping companies go truly digital. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please do leave us a review. We're getting late in the season now. Want to have some good momentum to carry us into season two. So if you've been listening, if you're enjoying what we're putting out, please do leave us a review. And of course, we always love to hear your thoughts. You can hit us up on Twitter or LinkedIn at 11FS or email us and the production team podcasts at 11FS.com. We'll have more episodes for you very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. 